Our scripture reading tonight is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 8, and verses 18 to 27. Future glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but that hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Thanks be to God. very uncomfortable isn't it you don't like waiting I heard about a lady yesterday who had a celebrated birthday who would never go to the bus stop before the bus was exactly due because she didn't like waiting for buses my heart sinks when I go into the post office and I see that queue stringing out waiting towards the door or what about that terrible dreadful voice. Your call is important to us. One of our representatives will be with you as soon as possible. And then the music starts and you wait and wait and wait. It's why our generation, of course, has gone from the extreme of being patient about waiting to wanting everything instant. Instant coffee, ready meals, the fact that your email must be replied to immediately. We live in a world where everything has to be instant and we don't like waiting. But I want to remind you from this scripture this evening that the Christian life is all about waiting. It's one of the essential elements of becoming a Christian that we are between one event and another event. And we're waiting. We've been looking in the letter to the Romans and there are some hugely encouraging reminders of what we have already received. Chapter 5, verse 1. Since we have been justified through faith, 
That's a past event. We have been justified. We have peace with God. At the moment, we're waiting, but we have peace with God. The very first verse of this chapter, chapter 8. There is now, this is the now time, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But if you look at the reading that we started at verse 18, and some of you were here last Sunday evening when we looked at the previous verses, you'll see in verse 16 and 17 of this chapter, where the Apostle has been talking about the work of God the Holy Spirit, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are, that is present, we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. That isn't present, that is future. So I want you to look with me tonight at this passage in Romans 8 from verse 18 through to 27 where the title I've been given is Hope and Glory. And I find this a hugely encouraging passage because it does two things for me that I find very useful. It's realistic about our present sufferings. If you see the very first verse we're looking at, I consider that our present sufferings, without being too personal, our family life has not been without its sufferings over these past months. More of that perhaps later. Our present sufferings, we as a church, have had a great deal to remind us recently about the sufferings of this present time. But it's also very realistic and practical about the matter of waiting Patiently, will you run your finger down to verse 25? If we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And that's something which is important for us in this waiting time that we don't fret and rebel against things and get ourselves into a terrible state, but we have, by the grace of God, to be able to wait patiently. Now, what I want to bring out from this passage this morning, is, uh, this evening, is one very simple statement, and we'll be expanding on this in different ways. The way to wait with patience is to suffer with hope. The way to wait with patience is to suffer with hope. So, we're going to do these four things briefly. We're expecting glory. We're enduring suffering. We're enjoying hope and we are experiencing help. Those are the four stages we're going to go through. So let's look at the first of them, that Christians are expecting glory. It came at the end of the uh, passage before us. We can share in his glory. Now, in particular, as far as Christians are concerned, this means it will be a celebration that glory to come, will be a celebration of our status as the children of God, as being members of God's family. Look at verse 
19. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Now you say, I'm already a son of God. Yes, we are children of God. We're members of God's family. We are adopted into his family. But not everybody recognizes that, do they? Not everybody you're going to meet tomorrow says, ah, here comes a Christian. Here comes someone who loves the Lord Jesus Christ. Far from recognizing us, they often overlooking us and treating us as people who don't matter. But there's a day coming, this passage says, when the Lord Jesus returns and when he comes back, something dramatic is going to happen. Those people who already died... They will be raised from the dead and those people who are still alive will be taken up to be with them and meet with the Lord Jesus Christ and then there's going to be this great revelation, this great display of the fact that these are the children of God. This is what the world has been all about. This is the redeeming purpose of God. This is what Jesus Christ has achieved by his life and death and resurrection and ascension and it's going to mean the glory of Jesus Christ at the end of verse 17. We are going to see his glory and we shall have a share in that glory. That is what it's going to mean. The celebration of that status and every Uh, People from every nation and every generation will be there together in a a number of people that we can't ever count and it's going to be a demonstration to the devil that he's been defeated, that these are the redeemed people of God. Even the angels are going to be astonished at what God has achieved through his work of grace in the Lord Jesus Christ for his people. But at the moment we're, we're waiting for that. From time to time, a list is published in the newspapers of the Queen's honours. And you're told who are going to be the people who are made into knights and dames and people who are going to receive this, that and the other. And they know that and we know that. But they're waiting for the, for the occasion. And then a few weeks later you see the pictures in the newspaper and on your television of the investiture And there is the Queen and there's all the majesty and all the pomp and then they're receiving their medal and their accolades. This is the the celebration then of the honour they've received. Now at the moment we are Christians waiting for that great celebration of the status that we have. Not because we have deserved it but because it's Jesus Christ who has accomplished this and we have an essential share in that glory. So certain is this If you look at verse 30, and somebody else will have the privilege of preaching on this next week, where he is going to talk about the great things that Jesus has done. Those he predestined before the world was made, he also called during the experience here. Those he called, he also justified. He's uh, accounted them and declared them to be his children. Those he justified, he also glorified And that's in the past tense. He said it's so certain that it's as if it's already happened. That is the privilege of God's children who are expecting this glory. But there's one more aspect of it we mustn't overlook before we move on and that is something you'll find in verse 23. There's a reference here in verse 23 to the fact that we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. 
the redemption of our bodies. You see, the Lord Jesus is not just the redeemer of your soul, he's the redeemer of your body as well. And it's your body that gives you some of your problems at the present time, doesn't it? The problems of our bodies getting tired. The problems of our bodies getting ill. The problems of our bodies getting old. We live in our bodies now, and that is something which causes us considerable grief. But the Bible says this is only temporary. In another place, the Bible distinguishes between the tent we're living in now and the mansion that we will have in glory. Now, some of you have been away in tents the last few days and uh, I'm sure you're very uh, glad that you're back in your own bed now because uh, camping, uh, whilst it has its joys and its privileges, uh, from my recollection, doesn't always have the most comfortable beds. But uh, you're glad to be in something which is uh, more stable. Well, we must remember that at the present time we are expecting a glory which is going to be permanent. And when our bodies will be changed and made fit for the new heavens and the new earth, it will be free from all the pain and suffering that it gives us now. In 2 Corinthians 5, he speaks about our being clothed with a heavenly dwelling. Not a temporary thing, but a permanent dwelling. This is part of the glory that the Christian is expecting. Waiting and expecting glory. But I said a few minutes ago that one of the helpful things about this passage is that it is realistic about our enduring suffering. And we have to look at this because there's a number of different expressions used in this passage which are helpful to us. And it it starts out by talking not about us, but about the created order in which we live. And it says all creation is groaning with frustration. The creation, verse 20, was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. What strange expressions that the created order is groaning with frustration. That's an interesting word here. It's the same word that the Bible uses in the Old Testament about having everything being vanity and having no meaning. Now, I must admit, I find it very hard to discover meaning in some of the things that are happening around us. Can we find meaning and purpose in those volcano clouds which have and may still yet have a terrible effect upon air travel? What about the oil spill and the consequences of that? You see, the world in which we live isn't the world that God created. It's the world that God created, but something went wrong. And when something went wrong, it affected everything, not just the people. We looked uh, this morning in the, the third chapter of Genesis at one of the effects of the fall upon the relationship we have with the creation around us. 
And this world is a fallen world. It's out of joint. Most of you hope that when you get into your car to go home, you'll turn the key and the engine will purr sweetly and off you go. But just occasionally you turn the key and it begins to stutter and make some strange noises and then when you do release the clutch and you go down the road, you say there's something wrong here because it's making a noise. It could be just lack of oil, but it could be something much more seriously wrong. And what the Apostle Paul seems to be saying here is that the creation around us, it's groaning because it's not working properly. There's something out of joint. There's something that isn't right. And the consequence of that is that you can hear that and you can, you can see the effects of that. And there's an expression about it being in bondage to decay. Now, this is a big subject and I don't want to go into it in, in detail, but uh, those of you who are subjected to some of the uh, current teaching on evolution will know that uh, there are people who have a view that the world is gradually evolving, getting better and better and better. But the Bible says it's not. It's tending towards decay because this process of sin and its effect upon creation is getting, in a sense, worse and worse. And that's the world in which we live and it causes suffering for us. And we have to be realistic about that. When teachers go to school tomorrow morning, they're going to see a sweet row of children in front of them, but the material they're handling is faulty raw material. And when you go to work tomorrow, and the people you're going to work with are all fallen creatures. And the people that they have to work with, that's you, are a fallen creature as well. And that we're none of us perfect. And this is a, the, the world in which we live and the suffering that comes as a result of that. It's a, it's a very serious problem. But will you notice that not only does Paul say here that the creation is groaning, it says we too are groaning. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, verse 22, in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. As we wait, we are groaning as well. We live in this frustrated state of being in an imperfect world and the result is not promising. Sickness and disease and death are around us. Any of you know that Jacqueline's brother has been unwell. He's been receiving treatment for lymphatic cancer. During the last few days he's been taken more seriously ill and eventually he was admitted to hospital again this weekend. You won't be surprised that this causes us to groan. This is another reminder that we live in a fallen world and the effects are not just outside with oil spills but in our own family, in our own situation. But I do want you to, to notice there's a distinction in the way in which these words are used in Romans 8. I think there's a distinction between groaning and moaning. You see, when people are groaning, they're aware that they're living in this fallen world. The creation is 
groaning, but moaning is something different. Moaning is the kind of reaction to all that that starts whinging because it's impacting upon me. And it's as if I'm the one who is suffering all of this and nobody else is. Moaning can be a very serious sin. It can be something which shows impatience with God. But groaning is something which can't be a sin because creation is groaning and only people can sin. Creation can't sin. Later on we shall see that the Holy Spirit is groaning. Now that can't be a sin because the Holy Spirit is God and so he doesn't sin. This groaning is the effect upon us of seeing and feeling the sadness of the suffering of this present time. But there is a glimmer of hope, even in what it says here about the groaning. Will you see in verse 22 that he speaks about the whole creation groaning, and then he says, as in the pains of childbirth. Now that is a very important insight, isn't it? He's saying it's like What's happening when a mother is giving birth? There's only one passage of scripture I want you to look up this evening. It's John chapter 16. John chapter 16 and verse 20 through to 22. The Lord Jesus Christ is talking to his disciples about the difference between the present and the future. And John 16 20 says, I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is the time of your grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Even in this present time of enduring suffering, Jesus says, look forward. Look forward to what is to come. Yes, verse 18 says, The suffering is the present suffering. But the glory is the glory to come. So I want to move on now to look with you at the wonderful subject we have in this paragraph about hope. That Christians, whilst they're enduring suffering, they are enjoying hope. Six times in this passage he talks about hope. That's more times than he talks about suffering. Hope is our present experience as we look forward to the glory to come. Verse 23, again. Not only so, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. Now this is part of our hope that we already have the first fruits of what the Spirit has done and is going to do for us. Hope is one of the ways in which the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. The word first fruit would mean a lot to those Jewish people who had the Old Testament feasts of the first fruits. 
It's not something that matters so much to us because we're not an agricultural community. But I was standing in the garden of a lady yesterday who told me that she has early potatoes and I could begin to salivate at the thought of that. Early potatoes. The first ones that come out of the ground. They may not be the biggest, but they're the best and the sweetest, aren't they? Because they give you this hope that the rest of the main crop is going to come. And the first fruits are what we enjoy now of what is to come fully later. Now, the Christian already has the first fruits of the Spirit. We go back to verse 9, don't we, of this very chapter where he says, If the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. And last Sunday we looked at some of the explosion of that in the experience of the Christian as the Holy Spirit gives us this assurance that we are adopted into God's family now. He is the one who gives us the the, the power of the Spirit of Christ to overcome the sins that we can't overcome ourselves. It is the work of the gracious Spirit to guide us. We are led by the Spirit. And all of this is saying to us what? It is saying, you're God's children. And he who has begun this good work in you is going to continue it right to the end and bring you to glory. In fact, I ought to stop right there, shouldn't I? And say, we must be sure of that, mustn't we? There is no use our talking about enduring suffering and expecting glory if we don't have the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts. Today we must be sure that we're trusting only in him. That we're not looking to what we can do and achieve ourselves. There is no glory inherently in us. It is the glory of Christ. And so when we put our trust in Christ, we trust him for the past and for the present and for the future. And we are enjoying the first fruits of that hope that he gives to his children. And when we even grieve the loss of loved ones, the Bible says we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Because we do have hope that we'll meet them again. That we'll be with them again. And we'll be with the Lord Jesus again. This is the balance that the scripture gives to us about our having this suffering and enjoying this hope. So when you look at verse 25 where he says, If we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it Patiently, It is the hope that sustains our patience. To be impatient is to say, God doesn't know what he's doing. He should give it to me now. He should end our problems now. He should solve all our difficulties now. That's impatience. But patience is saying we have the hope and we are trusting that God knows what he's doing. There's an expression which I saw in one of the commentaries I was looking up. Let me read it to you now because I heard it very helpful. It says, we should wait neither so eagerly that we lose our patience nor so patiently that we lose our expectation. That's a bit subtle, isn't it? Let me see what he's saying. He's saying, it's possible, you know, For us to be so 
keen on the expectation of the future that we are not living in the present and we're not waiting with patience. You see, God has a work for us to do now. We have this certain future to come, but whilst we wait, we're not idle. We're serving him. We're telling others about him. We're living for him as witnesses to the difference it makes that Jesus Christ is with us and in us. And we need to do that with patience. But we shouldn't be doing it so patiently, so ready to remain as we are, that we lose any expectation of things that are going to happen in the future. That's another danger, isn't it? The danger is that we live for today and we're not encouraged enough by the expectation of the future. Yes, verse 25 is important. If we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. I must move on to say something about the last two verses that Christians, whilst all this is happening, are experiencing help. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He helps us in our weakness in waiting, in our enduring suffering, and in our enjoying hope. These are the things the Spirit is doing. But he also takes up here an aspect of it that we mustn't overlook, and that is praying. Because the Spirit helps us in our prayers. Now I find this a a very big problem, isn't it? When there is somebody suffering, when there's someone who's in, in real need, we don't really know how to pray. Should we pray for them to be delivered out of their sufferings and taken straight home to glory? Or should we pray for them to be sustained in those sufferings and to endure them and to be strengthened and helped by them? And we don't always know what to do about these things. There are many times when the existence of suffering causes us great difficulties about how to pray. But what does Paul say? He says, God gives us his spirit to help us to pray. What will the Spirit do in helping us to pray? Well, he will help us to understand the principles of the Bible. He will explain to us what the Bible is all about, what it says about these things. The Holy Spirit will also be the one who assures us that God has our best interests at heart. Look at verse 28. Somebody's going to preach about this next week. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Do we really believe that? Can we take that home and say in these things that are very present and pressing in the sufferings we have, that God is working them for our good? Only the Spirit can give us that assurance. But he can and he will do it. And what's more, it even says that the Holy Spirit prays for us. He prays for us when we don't even know how to pray ourselves. And he groans with us, it says here. He doesn't need to use words. He is God. And in his groaning, he reminds us that it isn't a sin for us to groan when things are going wrong. 
And then he makes this amazing statement in verse 27. He says that when he prays, God's will is always done. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. That's what we don't know. Is it God's will for this person to be healed or not? Is it God's will for us to do this or that? We don't know what is God's will in many of these circumstances. But the Spirit does. And he prays. There's a lovely reminder here, isn't there, of how the whole of the Trinity is involved in our praying. We're praying to God our Father. We're praying through Jesus Christ, his Son. And we're praying by the help of his Holy Spirit. Let me really ask you a question. Before the prayer meeting, do you pray for the Spirit's help in our prayer meeting tonight? When you, tonight, pray before you go to bed and you don't know what to pray for in some of the issues that are in front of you, do you pray, Lord, help me by your Holy Spirit to pray? Because I need your wisdom, I need your guidance. What I want to do is not to persuade God to do my will, but to be persuaded that I should do his will. That's the help the Spirit gives to us. But I must conclude because we want to meet at the Lord's table. In conclusion then, I want to remind you that this world is one big waiting room. Because whilst we are living between the present time with all its groaning and suffering, we're waiting for the glorious freedom of the children of God. So will you look now at verse 18? Verse 18. I didn't say anything about this at the beginning because I wanted to leave it till now. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I want you to look at a picture of a pair of scales. That's the picture we want to close with tonight. You see, in one side, you put all the present sufferings you can find. Don't ignore them. Don't pretend they're not there. We live in this groaning world. You could put all the present sufferings that you can in one side of the scales. What does the Bible say? The Bible says you put in the other side the hope of the glory to come. Don't look this text up now, but this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 4. Our light and momentary troubles in comparison with the future, they're light and momentary. They are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The word for glory in the Old Testament, the word kavod means weight. And the weight of glory, he says, is so great that there's no contest, there's no comparison. So when this week we feel like groaning, yes, and even moaning. 
deliberately stop looking at those sufferings and look at the glory to come and see how much greater is the glory that Christ has achieved for us, which we remember as we come now to this table, that it's all his achievement at Calvary on behalf of his people. All that glory, he says, is far outweighing the light and momentary sufferings that we endure. Our present sufferings are far outweighing by the hope of glory. God grant us the grace to enjoy that this week. Amen.